ADP has your back with Accountant Connect. Their award-winning multi-client payroll management and analytics platform is a remarkably effective tool for adding value to every client engagement. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, ADP Accountant Connect, later in the episode. Most accountants are working harder and longer since the pandemic began, which is really interesting because I've seen other stats or articles saying that productivity is down. So I don't know how this squares up, but accountants themselves are saying that they're working longer hours. Almost half are working longer hours. 38% have lost sleep due to work-related stress. I believe all, I believe both those stats. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Clockshark. Back in October of 2013, I became Clockchart's first Twitter follower. Today, Clockchart has grown to a highly rated and very much loved time tracking app that is now used by over 5,000 small businesses globally. With features like crew tracking, scheduling, overtime notifications, routes, geofencing locations, job costing, budgeting, and reporting, Clockchart has built a robust mobile time tracking app to handle the unique challenges that face your mobile workforce clients. Their technology has been helpful as their clients work through the COVID-19 pandemic. Your clients will need accurate records of their expenses and losses, and technology like Clockchart helps. With Clockchart, your clients can keep accurate records like paid time off and other important data to provide the necessary proof for CARES and FFCRA Act benefits. This lets them get straight back to work without too much disruption after the pandemic has passed. Clockchart's standard plan is just $6 a month per employee. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash clockchart. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-L-O-C-K-S-H-R-K. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by BQE Core. As firms everywhere are positioning themselves to work remotely, BQE Software is committed to supporting you and your employees during this critical time. BQE's core products operate 100% on a native cloud platform that's uniquely able to help you in your efforts to embrace remote work while maintaining your productivity. In response to the impact that COVID-19 has had on your firm and your clients' businesses, the team at BQE has let us know that the Cloud Accounting Podcast listeners will now receive three months of BQE Core for free with an annual subscription package purchased on or before September 30th, 2020. To learn more, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash core. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-O-R-E. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. So David, we're recording on a Thursday, so you can have a long weekend. So where the hell are you going? I'm going to go to California. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I just can't. I, I got to get out of the house. I got to get someplace where it's not 107 degrees for a couple of days. So I'm just, for four days, I'm just going to go. I got an Airbnb in Venice Beach area. And I'm just going to do nothing but oh. eat Cheetos and drink beer or something. I don't know. Just do nice. nothing. Venice so, is uh, fun. That's what I've heard. Hopefully it won't be too crowded. I used, I, I had a client down there. I got to go hang out, you know, at the bars and the beach, and it was great. Well, I'm, I'm going to get a mask, and that's like the Arizona flag, and then people will stay extra away from me. But I don't know. I guess California has their own COVID issues right now of, of spikes. So yeah, Venice is full of sort of like nonconformists. So I'm curious to know how many people are, you know, social distancing, wearing masks down there. That should be interesting. So you'll have to let me know. Yeah, definitely. But the real talk here is. We are one day post tax day. Yay. Congratulations, everybody. Hope, hopefully you're taking a little bit of a breather, maybe a vacation. 
there was a lot of go anywhere, but a lot of tweets on tax Twitter of big bottles of alcohol being open last night. <laughs> I noticed they on the feed through Twitter and, and bottles of wine and people. Yeah, this has been a tough one to get to the finish, but you know, people made it. Yeah. I've got some stories on our favorite topic, PPP questions about that data from that CSV file that SBA released on all those loans over $150,000. Uh, what else here? Wall Street earning forecasts. A lot of companies have withdrawn their earnings forecasts, so we really don't know what's going to happen. Accountants are pretty gloomy, unfortunately. I've got a survey here by Avid Exchange about how accountants are seeking new technology to get through the pandemic. Apparently, there's quite a bit of adoption of cloud technology, as you might expect. And then finally, big four in the UK, UK regulator of accounting has ordered the big four to separate their audit practices by 2024. Oh, and finally, remote work. Uh, Zoom is getting into the hardware game. I heard about that. I, I, I yeah. was thinking about that. I, I, I heard about that coming out. Well, just as we wind up this PPP stuff, you know, Congress is uh, reconvening next week and new. we might see new stimulus next week. And new packages, so we can talk about some of that stuff that's coming down the pipe. Yeah, I wouldn't uh, be surprised because isn't the unemployment bonus amount of $600 per week, isn't that ending at the end of this month? Yes, at the end of July. Yeah, and so that's a big problem because a lot of people have been relying on that dur- during shutdowns, and a lot of states are spiking. I-, I saw recently, the number keeps changing every day, but 41 states are having increases of coronavirus at this point. It's just all over the place. It's just spiking everywhere. So the the idea that we can get by without more stimulus, direct stimulus to individuals is hard to believe. Yeah. So they, they, we're going to, we can talk about that. What yep. else? A little bit of uh, app news, right? Networks. So remember we talked about they acquired Transaction Pro. We'll talk about a little news about that. Cool. I have, uh, I guess this ties to your PPP news. There's an article about five reason borrowers should not rush to uh, turn in their forgiveness applications. If you even can, like I, I don't even <laughs> know if the banks are allowing you to do that yet. <laughs> I think my lender sent me some website with a link and I have yet to click on the link. So I'm just going to wait. All right. So what do you want to start with? Uh, I want to start with this uh, PPP data. It's always fun. So that giant CSV file, you can actually go download it. If you're listening, go to the SBA website and search for Paycheck Protection Program, loan data. You'll be eventually directed to a page where you can download a giant CSV file that you can open in Excel. It's like 125 megabytes, massive file with thousands, hundreds of thousands of loans that were over $150,000. And the Washington Post, like a lot of news outlets, was pouring through this after it came out. And they published a story raising quite a few questions about that data because it's really inconsistent. There are businesses, they found something like I don't know if it was half a dozen or a dozen businesses that they actually spoke to where the number of jobs saved in the column, this is jobs saved, didn't match anywhere close to how many employees that those businesses had. I mean, there were cases where a business might have had a few dozen employees and they were listed as having 500 employees. Uh, And the jobs saved column, I'm interpreting that as, you know, even though it was called jobs saved, it was just number of employees on the application. And they're they're calling it job saved because you know the administration wants to uh, promote how many jobs are saved, right? So, a uh, big picture: the Trump administration is saying that the 4.9 million loans supported or saved 51 million jobs. So that's the number of jobs at businesses in aggregate that received these loans. But as 
we have seen, if you call up these businesses, we find that many of them, the numbers don't match. So the question is, what is going on there? Was there some sort of error in the database? Was there an error when the banks submitted these applications? Apparently, Wells Fargo didn't submit any employee data for any of the loans to the SBA. And I guess they weren't required to. That's according to a spokesperson at the bank that they were able to apply for these loans on behalf of their clients without even submitting the number of employees. So all those loans are blank. So we won't have that data until the forgiveness paperwork goes through, assuming they make anybody actually file forgiveness paperwork. Right. So basically, there's a, there's a big question as to, is, the, is this number right? Did 51 million jobs get saved? Economists are saying probably not, seems very unlikely. And uh, the the Washington Post has a diagram here showing some of the industries where the jobs supposedly supported by the PPP, according to this document, are greater than the entire jobs in that industry in 2019. So for example, employment placement, specialty food stores, cattle ranching, grant making and giving, performing arts companies, oil seed and grain farming, those industries do not have as many jobs as the administration is saying were saved. So no one has any answers at this point as to uh, why there's this big discrepancy and the SBA hasn't said why. Landscape architecture is a great example. Like that's way different. It's like they're reporting that 114,000 jobs were supported in that industry, landscape architecture, but that's three times the number of people who worked in the industry last year. doesn't make sense. Yeah, none of the numbers add up. Um, but there's some <laughs> indicators that maybe it did save some j- jobs because I think I remember like at week eight right, of the PPP loan or week mm-hmm. nine, unemployment went, the number of new claims that went up, there was new Things started to open up, right? So there was yes. new hiring happening, but it was like seven million people were new unemployment claims. Basically, that you know the companies ran out of their PPP and had to let employees go. So, if anything, it kept people employed for a little while. It didn't. I'm not sure it saved jobs. It just delayed, yeah, the inevitable a little bit. Yeah, there's no doubt that millions of jobs were saved and that millions of people didn't go on unemployment. We just don't know how many millions. Was it 50 million? Was it five million? That's a big question. And I think it's an important question to answer because this program cost us seven, no, not seven, $571 billion so far. Oh, so man, That's our know. kids' problems to deal with. We don't have to worry about this, Blake. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, I'm it's hoping two to two generations from now. They can worry you know, about it. <laughs> I'm optimistic about my lifespan, David. So, you know, I think I'm going to end up probably paying these taxes at some point. So, like, you know, I, I have some concerns. Anyway. There's one more bit of PPP news before I'm done with that. It's that uh, the Wall Street Journal is reporting that New York City, which was hit the hardest by the pandemic, did not get its fair share of PPP loans. That's according to the uh, comptroller of New York City. Just 12% of small businesses in New York City got federal aid. That is compared with 20% in states that were much less economically harmed, such as North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska. And we have reported on this previously. We didn't have hard numbers like this, but we we said, based on the data, oh, it looks like the Midwest seems to be getting way more loans. And that was a result of many more small banks, small businesses having direct lending relationships with these banks already, and they were able to work the system in a way that small businesses served by giant banks like Bank of America and Chase and Wells Fargo just weren't able to do. Yeah, and I think a lot of the Midwest, you have a lot of farms, and those farms already have loan relationships with banks, mm-hmm. right? They're just for a lot of small business owners, this is the first time they ever went to get a loan, yeah, or, or talk to the bank beyond just opening a checking account for their small business or, or merchant service or something. So, yeah, it's it it was it 
it's unfair just because people never thought they'd be in this situation. Like there's nothing that's, it's rolled out fair about this. Um, I have, a two PPP kind of related things. One is there was a survey done by Morning Consult and they uh, interviewed 2,200 adults. And this was, la- they interviewed them last week. So this is right in the heat of all the who got PPP money news. Remember last week, all the headlines. Mm-hmm. So really feeling out, do you support these businesses that got it? Do you don't know, don't have opinion or do you oppose? Overwhelmingly support non-franchise restaurants. 65% they feel Hey, non-franchise restaurant restaurants should be getting it. Private K to twelve schools should be getting the PPP loan. Who is this um, a survey of? I, I missed that. Twenty-two hundred adults. Okay, just just people in the country. Got it. That's okay. correct. At the bottom, fifty-six percent oppose dating apps getting the money, <laughs> like Grinder. You like mentioned Grinder got a PPP uh, 50, loan. Fifty-five percent oppose celebrity clothing companies like Kanye West company Yeezy, mm-hmm. uh, which which is sad because like more people oppose that than companies with ties to lawmakers. Companies ties to lawmakers, only 50% oppose that. Um, religious organizations, 35% oppose that. 40% people support, they, they're okay even in restaurant chains. It was still 45%. Uh, medical organizations, 47%. Well, well, speaking of celebrities and their clothing lines, uh, we, we mentioned Kanye West's Easy brand got a PPP loan. He's on the ballot in Oklahoma, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Kanye West is going to run for president in Oklahoma. He, he's making so, <laughs> so so he's t- checking I, both boxes now. He, he's checking yeah. the uh, companies tied to political <laughs> people. Exactly. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe getting that loan inspired him to enter politics so that he can get more money through uh, influence. But I don't I don't know where I was going f- with that, but I do have some pandemic-related news. But before you jump that, I have something else with the PPP. So remember last week, you were like, hey, we haven't heard much about this whole PPP agent fee stuff. Like, uh, yeah, the banks get the 1%, 3%, 5% commissions. The accountants aren't getting those agent fees that were supposedly in the in the bill. Yeah. So remember Newt Gingrich? Uh, who can forget Newt Gingrich? For, from the, the 90s? He won't go away. Won't go away. So he wrote an article. It's a, it's opinion piece in Newsweek about how banks are trying to hurt small business in a time of crisis. So he writes this article, and it basically it's about how the banks fought and lobbied to get the agent fees stuff removed from the PPP. Mm-hmm. And the argument is is most of the PPP agents are really just small businesses themselves with revenue under three hundred thousand dollars, and uh, approximately forty five percent of them are in minority and women owned businesses. So he doesn't go on to actually mention accountants in this. But it's really how the banks went out of their way to avoid paying agent fees to essentially small businesses. Yeah, because why would they want to split the commission? It makes sense, right? And they have all the influence and the small firms don't. And I read the article three times. I was like, does he say accountants in here? No, he just says PPP agents, PPP (laughs) agents over and over and over again. Yeah, who exactly are those? It's usually going to be the accounting firms, but I don't know. I'd be curious to know who else other than bookkeepers, accountants were trying to get those agent fees and, and weren't able to. And processing the paperwork, uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, speaking of some bad news, I suppose, uh, accountants are predicting that 2020 will be the worst year for the economy since World War II. That's according to the Q2 2020 Global Economic Conditions Survey conducted by the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants and the Institute of Management Accountants. Now, accountants in North America are surprisingly more optimistic than in other parts of the globe, but overall, accountants are not particularly optimistic. Now, let's put that in perspective. When was this survey done? Uh, this was done uh, in Q2. So I guess 
I don't know exactly when, but because I feel like the Q there were surveys in Q one where people were pretty optimistic. And this, yeah. is, this I guess this ebbs and flows like with the waves of COVID, maybe. Absolutely, it makes sense, right? And Wall Street is having the same challenge where they were feeling really optimistic, and now, according to the Wall Street Journal, more than one hundred eighty companies in the S and P five hundred have pulled their earnings guidance in the wake of the new coronavirus pandemic or the second wave or the beginning or the end of the first wave, whatever you want to call it. This is the widest dispersion in earnings estimates in years. And so it's leaving investors with really not a lot of, well, they don't have guidance, right? Because companies are pulling that guidance. They they just don't, they aren't willing to say what uh, their earnings are going to be. Let's see what else is a, uh, we could jump into like five reasons you probably don't want your clients to fill out that forgiveness application. I, I mean, I know the ASCPA is saying, hey, just hold tight, wait, more things will change. It's it's better just to wait now. And we have, what, like 11 months to actually submit this thing? It's yeah. quite a while. And so this is directly from the AICPA. Number one is most lenders aren't ready, which you already mentioned that. And many are developing technology tools as for such as forgiveness portals. So we'll see how that goes. And then- Well, because we know how well the actual application process went, right? Yeah. And now that you can opt into that 24 weeks to use the money, you just have this elbow room. You just have this time. Right. right like there's no reason to rush at all. And since payroll costs are a significant p- component, now um, a lot of the payroll companies are div- software companies are actually building custom reports to report out this data out of your payroll software. So you can just if you just wait, the reports will just be done for you nicely. Compliant reports will just be provided for you. So there's a pr- there's a benefit to procrastinating here. And you're not even required to make a payment until 10 months after your covered loan period ends. And then uh, applying for forgiveness might be easier if you use the easy form instead of doing the standard for you. I still think there is a six that they're just going to tell people, don't worry about it. They're certainly not going to be able to audit all these. All right, let's talk about accountants and technology during this pandemic. Avid Exchange did a survey that was published in Accounting Today asking, how are you responding to the pandemic using technology? And there's some interesting insights in here. How many solutions have you added to your tech stack since the pandemic? That's one question. About 12%, 12% of respondents said they have added four or more new solutions to their tech stack since the pandemic started. Uh, the largest group, over a third, 36% said two to three, and then about 26% said one. Only about a quarter of accountants have added no technology since the pandemic started. And this makes sense. So People are working at home. They need to add tech. Yeah. So the quarter who didn't, it's either, is it like 12% that are 100% already cloud and the another 12% are people that just done for change? Or is it, those are 25% that have already been there and they didn't really have to do much new tech. That's my guess, right? It's, there was about a quarter that are already in the cloud. They were already set up. They didn't have to change anything really because they're already set up to work from home. And then you have that 10 or so percent where they had nothing (laughs) and they had to add the four or more apps. And then there's the folks who are in between. And it makes sense. I mean, nobody could buy a webcam. Like webcams, like what used to be a $19 webcam, I think we're all going for like $220 on Amazon for a little while there. You couldn't buy any, any uh, video conferencing type tools at all. Well, I've got a story that I'm saving for later in this episode about that, you know, Zoom hardware. Basically, it's like a $600 webcam. We'll talk about that. Um, But continuing on with this survey here, uh, there's another question. New tech will make my job less stressful during COVID-19. Almost 80% of survey respondents said that new technology would make their job less stressful during the pandemic. Accounts are very positive about the 
impact of tech on making their jobs less stressful. That feels like a, a very different answer than would have happened two years ago or three years ago. I, I think things are changing so rapidly right now. I mean, it's not just accounting, right? Everything is changing. E-commerce before this pandemic was really actually small compared to the overall retail economy. It, it was less than 20%. And I bet coming out of this, it's going to be half. I would not be surprised if we started spending half of our money on on e-commerce versus in-person retail. I mean, maybe that's a little bit extreme, but I, you know, I could see it happening, at least doubling. It almost feels like the uh, retail locations are almost pushing you at towards that. I was trying to uh, look up an audio receiver and I was poking around on Best Buy's website, bestbuy.com. And you can't really go to the store. Like none of them are available. It's all, we'll get, deliver it to the store for you or ship it to your house. So it's almost like to the point where I'll just order from Amazon then or just use any e-commerce site. There's no, you really can't just go in and buy something and food and grocery type stuff, it feels like. It's changing behavior. Uh, we never ordered groceries online ever before this. You know, I'm a big Amazon person, but I'd always bought things like in boxes. I'd never bought food. I'd never bought furniture online. I've done both of those for the first time now. And it was a great experience. And we'll probably keep doing that. Right? The, the people are getting used to this order online and then you drive up to the store and they put it in your trunk kind of thing, which is super convenient. Right? I love that. Uh, everybody is is getting used to this. And once they get used to it, then the behavior sticks. It only takes, what, three months for a habit to stick, right? And we as a society have been doing this for more than three months now. So even once once the pandemic is over, I don't expect our behavior to go back to normal. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ADP Accountant Connect. How can you stay on top of your game and still have time to think more strategically? Or how do you keep up with all the COVID-19 related stimuli programs to make sure your clients have the documentation to get their piece of the pie? By using ADP's award-winning multi-client payroll management and analytics platform called Accountants Connect. Be your clients go to Guru by leveraging Accountant Connect's tools and resources to strengthen your strategic advisory role while boosting the efficiency of your traditional tax and accounting services. With ADP Accountant Connect, you can process payroll and easily integrate payroll data to the popular accounting systems like QuickBooks, Zero, and Sage, and handle their clients' needs anywhere at any time. And because ADP Accountants Connect was designed by accountants for accountants, it includes so much more. You can take a CPE course on trending topics, provide your clients with benchmarking data, access a tax resource library, calculators, ebooks, even template letters for communicating with your clients. And it's free. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash ADP. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash ADP. ADP has your back with Accountant Connect. And does the survey talk about the relationship with clients? Like, is it easier to get your clients to adopt technology now? I know previously sometimes that was always the excuse. Well, I can't get my clients to move to software. Why would I, why would I move? Yeah, no, it hasn't. Uh, it, it, this survey doesn't ask about that. It has some information about disaster preparedness plans. Apparently, about 17% of firms did not have a disaster plan in place before and now have put one in place. That's quite a, a significant number. Only 15% actually had a plan that they considered robust. So basically, they wrote up a plan and just implemented the next day because that's yeah. kind of where we're at. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, um, there were some quotes here in the article about, you know, people and their per disaster preparedness plans. And like a lot of that in the in the pre-cloud era was, you know, who's going to take the printer home? Who's going to take the tech <laughs> stock home? 
that sort of thing. And I think actually that's probably the most urgent thing to do, right? Because getting payments out with paper checks is like the thing you got to do every week, if not every day. One other thing before we move on, actually, there's so many good stats. Just give me a, a few more stats okay, before okay. we move on. This is, this is your thing. I'll, I'll give it to you. So most accountants are working harder and longer since the pandemic began, which is really interesting because I've seen other stats or articles saying that productivity is down. So I don't know how this squares up, but accountants themselves are saying that they're working longer hours. Almost half are working longer hours. 38% have lost sleep due to work-related stress. I believe all, I believe both those stats. Has your firm's productivity been affected by more staff working from home? So this is this is the thing that doesn't quite make sense. Sixty-two uh, percent said that productivity has decreased. So somehow people are working more hours, but productivity has decreased. That would be unfortunate. Unless you bill by the hour, right? So the, this is weird because I mean maybe it's the fact that they're having to work more hours to accomplish the same amount of work. I guess it depends if you're billing hourly or if you're fixed. Like it's it's depends how you measure it, right? That's the question. I mean, subjectively speaking, like I feel like I've gotten a lot of stories from accountants that everybody's working tons more than they ever have, and they're busier than they've ever been. But at the same time, there's also just more distractions, right? It, it's harder to focus. It's harder, you know. You have you're not just. It's not like this ideal situation where you're working at home and nobody else is there. Kids are there, like right, so right. The the it's like the days never end. Right. Um, and I'm sure there's plenty of accounts and bookkeepers that are working Saturdays and Sundays because what's the difference on a Saturday and a Monday or a Wednesday? I mean, that's kind of the, the genesis of this podcast, right, David? It's so that you and I can get away from our families. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. That's sometimes. The plan. Uh, a few more stats here. Will your firm allow employees to work from home permanently? Of all firms, 82%, just the vast majority, 82% plan to allow f- employees to work from home permanently. They say it's very or somewhat likely. It is slightly fewer if the firm is under 50 people. That's 78%. And if they're 50 plus, it's 88%. What are firms planning to do with their physical offices? Of all firms, 65% plan to keep their offices and locations as they are. 6% plan to significantly alter their office configuration or function. And 18% plan to significantly downsize space and locations going forward. Now, the one thing that's interesting here is if they're a large firm with 50 or more employees, that jumps to 31%, almost a third, plan to downsize their space going forward. Now, last stat in the survey, how do you feel about your firm's response to the pandemic? Positive, somewhat positive, or negative? 65% of folks responding to the survey had a very positive feeling about their firm's response to the pandemic. 24% Somewhat positive, somewhat or very negative was 11%. So overall, the accounting profession did pretty good. You know, nine out of 10 positive, somewhat or very, but there's about one in 10 firms where it was not a good experience. But but it feels like in general, I think uh, the big four were a little slow to do the work from home policies, but I think a lot of firms did it. They sent people home. The work was still there. There's tons to do, but I, it could have been the other way, right? It could have been a traditional tax season where everybody needs to come in and work on Saturdays. And, and remember, we've, we've, we've had pictures of that, like people taking pictures of their parking lot on, on a Saturday afternoon, you know, at some of the firms and the cars are still yeah. parking lot. So I think it could have been 90% disapproving, but I mean, accounting firms have stepped up this year and, and, and handled this properly. What's really interesting about this is that the, the larger firms were 
a bit slower, it seems, initially to send people home. But they are now being slow to send people back. I just saw a story about, I think it was PWC or no, it's Deloitte is is just not going to send people back for a while. Uh, and and that kind of makes sense, right? Because they've got a lot more worries about lawsuits, employee liability. They've got to deal with that from an HR perspective. Uh, so they're going to be much more careful, I think, than smaller firms. Yeah. And then plus it's harder to control, I guess. Like a small firm, they can – it's probably easy for a small firm to implement like an every other day schedule. Like, hey, only 10 right. people in the office today, sign up on this form, come in, you can be in the office and we keep our social distancing, et cetera. But I think a big, huge, gigantic firm, like that's probably impossible to to – plan or a workaround. So. I mentioned the big four. So maybe I should talk about those, uh, the big four in the UK. Yes. Because uh, this is all indirectly tied to Wirecard, right? So kind of, but well, then previous downfalls previous had failures. as well. Yes. That, that if it happened. Yeah. So the big four in the UK and a uh, Wirecard was German. So I guess that, you know, doesn't really count, but, but I think it's resurfaced this news about what all the fiascos they had in the UK over the last two years. Yes. Like it's just, so there have been a string of corporate failures in the UK that really pushed public opinion against the big four there. To name a few, the construction giant, giant Carillion, the coffee chain operator, uh, Patisserie Holdings, the travel company Thomas Cook Group. These are big public companies that collapsed and everybody was asking, where were the auditors? Why didn't they see what was going on? And so... You know, their consequences are coming. Uh, the Financial Reporting Council, the UK's accounting and audit watchdog, has asked the big four to separate their audit practices. Now, they aren't asking them to spin them off completely into completely different legal entities, which is a uh, is the more extreme approach that some people were recommending. They didn't they didn't decide to do that, but they're going to basically put up. I don't know, it seems sort of for me to like a wall inside of the firms between the audit practices and the consulting practices. So that's going to work, I'm sure. Yeah, and that's the problem. It's going to create the outside impression. (laughs) So what does that mean? It means that audit practices are going to have to publish their own profit and loss statements separate from the overall firms and make sure there are no material structural cross subsidies from other parts of the business. What does that mean? I take that to mean that an audit partner couldn't earn a commission for upselling an audit client on consulting work. That would not be allowed anymore. Audit partners' pay has to be based on their contribution to the audit practice profits, nothing else. The firms have to be more transparent about their audit business and for audit professionals to demonstrate ethical behavior and professional skepticism. That doesn't really sound like much to me. There's some other recommendations in here. You know, I really wish they'd gone the full all the way. And I wish they would do that here in the US. We all understand human behavior. And I just don't think that auditors can truly be independent when other parts of the firm are earning fees from clients, you know, on other work. And they just need to be separate entities. Audit firms should just do audit. And ideally, they wouldn't be paid by their clients. Uh, They would be... Where's the real money? Is the money in the consulting or is the money in the audit? The money's in the consulting and there is a chart yeah. here in this. And that's why you don't want to report it, right? Because you might lose the consulting contract. Right. So that's that's the obvious conflict of interest is that so, you're a big four firm, you have an audit client, you do a bunch of consulting. So you, what partner, if, if they break it up, what partner is going to be like, oh, sure, I'll go to the audit div- company. <laughs> when audit division. Yeah, because the audit division doesn't make much money, right? Yeah, you're going to want to stay with the consulting division. So I don't know how they're going to do this. 
unless there's unless there's some sort of you know government subsidy for audit companies to encourage them to be more independent. Well, and and what would actually make them independent is if some independent third party selected the auditor, not the client, and if there was a, a way that the audit fee could be determined and paid that was independent as well. Right. So the the auditors, they can't be independent if they're paid by the client. It's just impossible. When you're getting paid by somebody, you can't be independent. You have a financial relationship. You have a conflict of interest inherently. And there's nothing that you can do from an ethics standpoint to mitigate that. There, there's going to be a conflict there. I mean, this is better than nothing, right? So that's it from the big four standpoint for me. Uh, the only thing else I've got to talk about is Zoom. What about you? So I have some homework for you. So one of my articles this week is actually you were on a podcast. So you were on the Jaeger CPA and Review and More podcast, and you were debating the CPA licensure with Martin Zitch and Brian Tankersley. And I listened to it, and I listened to a lot of podcasts. And like this was really, really good. And I do oh, good. one of Thank the things, you. and I almost wanted to tweet it. Like I, I must say, like one of the things you said was that you know. It's a trade, right? Now you corrected yourself because you don't want to get people upset. So maybe I could say it's a trade. And I can say it's a trade as being somebody who grew up in construction. Well, right? Like you just can't you just can't go to school for construction and then build a house. You just won't have the skill set to do it. If you never swing a hammer, if you never hammered in a nail, you've never used a power saw, you just can't do it. It's you could teach it right. in theory, but you're not a- gonna accounting leave. is yeah, I I mean it has elements of a trade. It is a profession. I guess what I meant to say on that show is it is a profession, and I think it would be better if we taught it more like a trade than like an academic subject. Yeah, I can agree. So that was really good, and we'll put that on the show links, and people should listen to it. I thought it was a great argument. But Thank I also you. have homework for you, Blake. Okay. So because um, like you, like you like to dig in on these things, and this just came out today, and there's a 48-page PDF attached to this for you. <laughs> oh, boy. The FASB is finalizing changing some of the conceptual framework. So the document, which has been in the work in progress since FASB's formation in 1973, is supposed to serve as a manual to help FASB make decisions about new accounting. They're changing concepts like revenue and expenses are getting new proposed definitions. Very exciting. I'm going to have to check this so out. So this is, this is on your table now. I, 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 I thought it was going to be easy. I clicked on it like, oh, there'll just be like 10 words and definitions. And no, it's a 48-page document. And I was like, oh, this, is a, this is Blake's alley. I'll, I'll toss this over the fence to Blake. Well, you know, 48 pages for FASB, that's pretty good, uh, you know, given that a lot of, a lot of pronouncements uh, come in at, you know, hundreds of pages. So hopefully it won't be too much extra credit for me. But thank you, David. Uh, now I have something to do this weekend while you're on vacation. So let's talk about your Zoom and then I have two app news and then we can talk about possible stimulus we might see next week. Yeah. So I know a lot of folks invested in Zoom uh, and and have done really well. Zoom is the darling of the tech world right now. I mean, we're all using it, right? Uh, it's either Zoom or Teams at this point. So the big news about Zoom is that they are getting into the hardware game. People are frustrated about using Zoom at home. I know I am. I get tired of sitting at my computer with Zoom on my computer screen, doing Zoom calls for hours and hours and hours every day. And David, I think you do way more of that than I do because you're working with- I brought a tablet just to do only for Zoom calls because I I want to still use my computer. Zoom just sucks up all my resources. Yeah. So my problem with Zoom is that I I have it on my screen, but then I have to move it off to the side if I want to do something while I'm Zooming with somebody. And then I feel like I'm not really like focusing on them or talking to them. So I too have longed for that device that's dedicated for Zoom, like in a huddle room 
I've, I've been spoiled to work at companies where we have dedicated Zoom rooms and some of them are small, some of them are big. You just go in, you press a tablet, you start your meeting and you can look at a screen on the wall and you feel like you're there kind of in the room with somebody. And I've wanted that experience at home, but all of the Zoom room setups are thousands of dollars because they're designed for businesses. And so I, I even thought about buying my own mini PC and hooking that up to a, a big screen TV in my office and then, you know, getting a webcam and setting that whole thing up. But I, I just couldn't figure out if it would be smooth enough to want to do that on a regular basis. And then I saw that Zoom has decided to make a hardware device to solve this problem. It's called Zoom for Home, DTENME, I guess a D10ME. And it's being produced by partner D10, capital D-T-E-N. It's a standalone 27-inch screen, essentially a large tablet equipped with three wide-angle cameras designed for high-resolution video and eight microphones. The idea is that this device has really good video audio quality so that you sound good, you look good, you don't have to worry about anything, you don't have to put on a headset. It's just going to work. I heard it. I think it's just going to work. Like you don't even have to set it up. You just type in a pairing code, like essentially, and it works. It just works. It logs into your account. It's touchscreen. So, you, you know, your meetings are there on the screen. You just click to start and you can have this on your desk. You can have this over on like another table. I, I'm thinking about putting it over like on a, a, like a high top table in my home office where I can walk over there with my laptop and kind of like sit there and have a meeting like I would with somebody across the table. Like kind of give myself that feeling. And how much uh, are they so, saying this is going to be? So they're $599. Well, they're going to put these into Costco's at $499 and they're going to sell. Like people will impulse buy this when they're at Costco. There's no doubt. So, so you know, it seems kind of crazy to spend that much on a dedicated device. The one thing that it has going for it uh, that it makes it more versatile is you can use this device as a secondary screen or a third screen. So I think people. Oh, so will when you're buy not in a meeting, you could use it as an extra monitor. As, exactly. So That's I could. Efficient. Yeah, set it up on a table where I can walk over with my laptop and go use that. And you know, I, I was talking with somebody who says they want to buy it just for their parents to be able to use as a you know video conferencing device that's like high def. Yeah, better than having Facebook be in your house. <laughs> yeah, no, I, <laughs> zero chance I will ever let Zuckerberg into my house with a microphone and a camera. Are you kidding me? The people who buy those, man, they're insane. You don't trust Facebook. I have a little bit of app news. Well, what else is, uh, oh, oh, well, and I just want to say I've pre-ordered one of these devices. Oh, you have? Uh, you yes. So wow. I'm going to, I'll review it, you know, and my justification is that this is a podcast story. So um, get ready for me to expense this, David. Oh, perfect. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you just have to cut it in half. Exactly. That's you can, you know, I'll send you half of it. Uh, <laughs> the packaging. Maybe we'll just split it. You can have it one month. I'll have it the next month. So some uh, app news. Uh, right networks who purchased transaction pro importer last year mm-hmm. um actually um, last year it's almost two years ago now it's it's uh taking place but they just announced a bunch of changes to it um and one of them is a big big change what they're doing is so they, before you get into that what is transaction pro transaction importer? pro importer essentially would take any table data you had so if you had csvs or excel and you need to get that into quickbooks they could put it all in and and they ran, they wrote to every single field of QuickBooks desktop and every single field of QuickBooks online. And well, they created their cloud product, Transaction Pro Importer, for the cloud. And one of the biggest gripes people had about it is you had to pay per subscription. So every if you had ten clients, you had to buy ten separate mm. subscriptions. 
and sign them up. So, and some of that is you know, transaction pros a small business, right? They're trying to maximize their own revenue. I think with Right Networks, their goals are much bigger than just this one product, right? They have a suite of offering to sell somebody yep. now. And not, not to mention the coaching now they've got uh, Rootworks, right? So they actually are opening this up. So they're giving people a dashboard now and you can, and they have basically unlimited users with unlimited access to unlimited clients. Wow, that's great. So you get all, all, so everything's rolled into one subscription now. You said this is a cloud product now? Because I, I used Transaction Pro Importer once a long time ago and it was a desktop. Yeah, app. so they had their desktop and then they, when they went to cloud, they changed their pricing model and all that. Yep. So they, they, they were, uh, they've been around, they were easily one of the first 20 apps probably I helped get on QuickBooks. They've been around a long time. So this is the version for QuickBooks Online. That's what we're talking That's about That's correct. Here. That's correct. Got it. So if I need to get a bunch of data into QuickBooks Online, this is the way to do it. Yeah. Which is an interesting play, right? Because you have right networks who really, their, their game is to host QuickBooks desktop, right? But they're not, yeah. you know, they're, they're, and I said this before, I think of all the desktop hosting companies, right now, which is one of the only ones that's really trying to reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? And and so they are obviously are doing things around cloud, right? And they have a tool just for QuickBooks Online. Well, that's great. Um, I have a smaller, smaller article. There's a UK uh, company called Coconut. They were kind of like a more of a small business finance app, but they uh, had a raise of about three, 3.15 million US to build out um, accounting software. So there's it's another competitor that's coming to the market that's going to So they're they're like an, a general ledger an accounting application I never heard of them before. Yeah, I've never heard of them either. So they're building out to become more of a general ledger. They're going to build an SMB accounting platform. I cannot I'm looking believe. at the website now. It says the financial companion for self-employed people. Yeah. Okay, another self-employed. So it's just play. it's amazing how many people are It's not QuickBooks versus Zero anymore. It's QuickBooks zero versus the world. Like everybody and their brother is starting an accounting package. And, and the reason why is I think it's that whole competition with the, the banks want GLs, right? The, the, because they know they're going to lose if the GLs become banks. And it's just there, there's a lot of upside right now. If you, if you have a GL, you could probably possibly sell it to a bank in the next five years. There's probably a high chance that's going to happen. Um, a bank would acquire you or, or you know, some other company that wants to be getting this space. Uh, do you want to talk about possible um, relief packages that we might be seeing next week? Mm, do you mind if we just wait until next week when they actually when it's release? <laughs> yeah, because these things change so much. It's like, what's the point in talking about the hypotheticals? Yeah, I think the one of them is called the Restart Act. And I think that I was looking at the paperwork on that. The best part of it is if it does pass, they give the SBA 15 days to roll out the program. Great. That's definitely going to be successful. <laughs> That's exactly what I saw. I was like, this is not like, – like, we're already setting this up for failure. It hasn't even passed yet. 15 days to stand up the program. If I worked for the SBA, I'd just quit at this point. You know, Go get a job at a bank or something. But the SBA has a pretty nice budget. Mm. They, they have a huge budget. Oh, yeah, yeah. You mentioned – what was it? It's like uh, $300 billion or something yeah, for it, like 3,000 people. It's ridiculously high budget. <laughs> they, they, do, they do pretty good. They probably get paid pretty well then. Yeah, so that – and then um, next week – We'll find out probably because federal stimulus runs out. All the unemployment payments are running out. There's deal. There's proposals on the table that you know you might get paid for being employed. So if you if you go to work, you're going to get like four hundred fifty dollars extra. That could be on the table. Um, I've seen they were talking one of the things um, like UBI, right? People will just get two thousand dollar check every month now instead of the stimulus that never showed yeah. up. So there's gonna like we're gonna see a lot of talk next week. I mean. We're going to, I mean, the PPP4, it's just, just going to be a lot next week. We're going to be talking about get You know, Jerome Powell and the Fed 
just got to, you know, oil up that money printer, get it ready to go. More, more checks. And then this because it's a, if this was not an election year, I really wonder how, how much of the stimulus would be going out. Yeah, that is a good question. I guess we're lucky that it's a election year in a way. I mean, if you believe that the stimulus is the way to, to solve this, which, you know, I, I tend to think it's better to err on the side of printing more money than not printing enough, right? Given the great lesson of the uh, Great Depression and the Great Recession was that we didn't do enough. Yeah. And let's not let's not do not enough. Let's do more than enough if we have to. At least there, right. at least this gives us an illusion of control, right? The government like, we don't have control right. of the virus. At least this is like <laughs> we can control how much money we print. We can do that. That one thing we can do. Maybe they should um print the money in the form of like face masks and then people would wear them. Well, this is a, a good one I just saw. A four thousand dollar tax credit travel bonus if you take a vacation at least fifty miles from home. Oh, that's uh, that's our that's our senator here in Arizona, Martha. Uh, what Martha McSally is that? Is that it? I think so. Uh, yeah, so that was the most boneheaded proposal ever. Is, is she wanted to give a tax credit to families for taking a vacation during a pandemic? I mean, th- this is how crazy I mean, it's getting. They're they're talking about eliminating student loans. Like that's like like, like this was crazy Bernie Sanders talk twelve months ago, and now it's just seriously on the table. We're gonna have a fun week next week when when things. Start I have a hard out. time believing that'll ever get anywhere in the in the Senate or anything. But hey, you never know. Well, David, this was a pleasure as always. Enjoy California. Say hi to the water and the beach for me. I'll be here in the desert, soaking up the radiation. <laughs> the, yes, exactly the radiation. Uh, and uh, if our listeners want to reach you. While you're on vacation and bug you, where should they do that? Uh, Twitter's probably going to be best. I'm at David Leary on Twitter. You could also do LinkedIn, but I probably won't check it much um, unless I'm sitting in the passenger seat while the wife's driving the car or something like that. But uh, I really want to cut out. I want to cut out for two days. I really do. Well, good. Do that. Disconnect. I am at Blake T. Oliver. What, what if people are done with their tax season now mm-hmm. and they're drunk on Friday night and they're partying it up? <laughs> Can they call us and like leave us a like, drunk dial us? You know, nobody calls that number, David. I, I think I think people are just too shy. Or uh, all of our numbers are wrong. We really don't have as many listeners as we think. But um, if you if you do want to give us a call, I don't have the number in front of me. Do you, David? Two zero two six nine five ten forty. And you're right. I think they are a little shy because I've I've had people like vent to me either in Slack or something, and I'm like, this would yeah. be great. Call and leave a voicemail, and they never do it. Until next time. Have a good weekend, Blake. Yeah, week. Have a great, have a great trip. All Thanks, right. David. Bye-bye. Stay safe. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Still sending spreadsheets of unclassified expenses to clients? With ClientHub, automate this process and get client answers instantly. ClientHub is a client communication platform that helps you consolidate client communication, securely share files, and instantly get answers and much, much more. Get started today with a free trial at clienthub.app and enter promo code CAP25 for 25% off your first three months. ClientHub, frictionless client communication. Smancha integrates with QuickBooks Online and Zero to help put an end to cash flow problems by using daily, weekly, and monthly forecasts, cash flow calendars, and a powerful customized what-if scenarios. You can visualize your clients' finances in clear and intuitive ways so you can take action and reshape their cash flow by getting them the funding with one simple application. 
It identifies when extra cash is needed and can match your clients with multiple financing options via more than 50 screen lenders, and you can advise on the best offer suited to your clients' needs. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash smansha. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash S-M-A-N-S-H-A.